Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Betches Media presents... I would like to speak to America's men for one minute. That slacker barista. I start getting full of emotion. Now we're going to build this new bridge here. Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No, I can't. Betches Up Podcast. Like, how are people surviving? Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Today, we are here with Michigan governor and TikTok star Gretchen Whitmer. This is such a thrill for us. Thank you so much for being with us a couple weeks off the midterm elections. It's an exciting time. It is. And, you know, I'm thrilled to be here with you and appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and uh, all of your listeners. Awesome. So thanks again for being with us. To start, since we are just off Thanksgiving week, are there any particular dishes you are known to bring the big Gretch energy to? <laughs> well, my mother's, we still call it stuffing, even though we no longer put it in the bird. Yeah. Um, uh, but my mother's dressing was a tradition my daughter and I have carried forward since we lost my mom. And uh, it's always a highlight of Thanksgiving dinner. Got to have the stuffing. If it's not there, it's not Thanksgiving. Definitely not. <laughs> We are so excited to talk to you about this election cycle, as I mentioned, and the role of reproductive rights around which we just saw just incredible enthusiasm in Michigan up and down the ballot. So I kind of want to take us back, believe it or not, to six months ago. Uh, As soon as the Dobbs decision came out, you know, or perhaps the initial kind of shock of it, I know that for on our team, a lot of people were looking at Michigan. We were kind of hoping you could bring us back to that moment in June. How did you feel? And how did you and your colleagues activate? What, What kind of flood to you? that that few days? Well, you know, I think that ever since the moment that Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed, and then with the appointment of Amy Coney Barrett, we knew that this was a fight that we were likely going to have to have. And so we were researching what the situation was in Michigan. And um, I'd always known there was this old law in the books, but I wasn't familiar with it because for 49 years, we had the ability to make our own decisions. And so in our research revealing you know, we would go from being a proud pro-choice state to having one of the most extreme laws in the country on the books was um, an important reminder that we needed to get organized, we needed to do the work. And so even before the draft opinion came out, I filed a lawsuit to ask our state Supreme Court to recognize um, under the Michigan Constitution, the right to privacy and bodily autonomy under the equal protection and due processes clauses of the Michigan Constitution. And so... We were, we were gearing up for the fight. Um, our allies went and collected signatures, the most signatures ever turned Incredible. In. And so um, we fortunately were organized and prepared and won at the ballot box. But before that even happened, we got the injunction so that we could ensure Michigan um, women and girls and all those who need access to reproductive care, whether they're from Ohio and come here for it or you're a Michigander, we, we protected it um, in the mm-hmm. short term and obviously locked it in. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of like, there were some states where I think of the Miranda Priestley Devil Wears Prada gift where she's like, why is no one ready? Michigan was the opposite. You guys were ready. Yeah. That's so interesting to think this was weighing on you, you know, since I think a lot of us can relate to that since that moment where RBG passed, we knew, yeah, it sounds like you knew it was time to get ahead of this. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the exciting things about this moment, we just had a historic election here. We carried all the statewide offices, ran the tables on all ballot initiatives that yeah. we wanted to get past, and flipped both chambers of our legislature. And now part of the work that we are going to do after the first of the year is go through all the arcane laws on the books and get rid of all those zombie laws that are out there in the event the Supreme Court goes even further, which I, I think is a possibility, sadly. Yeah, yeah. You had a lot of discussions, direct discussions with groups of voters about reproductive rights leading up to the midterms. Uh, they sound really unique. Can you talk about those groups? Yeah, so we put together roundtables all across the state. And the irony is we were never actually sitting at a roundtable, but we, <laughs> we call them roundtables because yeah. we wanted to make space for women and our families and providers and our allies to, to talk about reproductive rights. And it wasn't just pro-choice Democrats. It was people who are new to the conversation who were stunned that after 49 years of rights, we might lose them for ourselves, for our, our kids. And so um, listening to women talk about what this means was, was so important yeah. in terms of drawing more people into the conversation. We had a, a young woman who spoke on behalf of the disability community. She was in a wheelchair had she had an unplanned pregnancy and been forced to carry it, it would have been a death sentence for her. Yeah. We had Republican women who, who one of whom, I, you know, I'll never forget the conversation. She chose to have an unplanned pregnancy and carry it to term and raise her, her son. And she loves him more than anything, but under, understood that having that ability to make that decision empowered her and actually made her a better parent because she could choose whether or not to do that. And that's why she was at the table mm -hmm. fighting to protect these rights. And IVF families, right, who want to desperately want to create a, a family now are, are in the midst of wondering, is that right going to be protected? And that was um, a part of the reproductive rights conversation that wasn't given enough space mm -hmm. um, yeah. in, the, in print or in coverage. Definitely. And so that's why these conversations were so important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of on that note, those conversations jive with what some pundits were saying, you know, the couple weeks out of the midterms that abortion rights just no longer had an impact amid economic concerns. How did that kind of sync with what you were actually hearing from people? It didn't reflect no. it. At all. <laughs> yeah. It didn't reflect. It was so out of step with what was happening out there and what the conversation was. And, you know, I'd often get questions like, should we be talking about the economy or abortion? And it was yeah. like, if you think that those are separate conversations, you probably don't have a uterus, right? Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. the most important economic decision ever, you know, to make in a lifetime is when and whether to bear a child. And so it was important to keep that conversation going and to link the two, but also reckon, you know, just to kind of brush off all these, you know, um, backseat drivers totally. who are saying, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. People don't care about it. They were wrong. And I think mm -hmm. you saw the turnout and the outcome proves that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would love to kind of stay on the theme of turnout. Michigan was a place where young voters really helped move the needle. Um, I got to look at some numbers from your team. It's really incredible to see the turnout. Why do you think that is? We were also hearing young voters aren't going to turn out. And state by state, it does vary. But in Michigan, like like many demographics, they were really motivated. What do you make of that? Well, they were. And, you know, I, I have great... Um, faith in our future because of young voters who did turn out, whether it was about reproductive rights or it was because for the first time we didn't have 
preconceived districts, right? We got rid of gerrymandering and had a free and full and fair election, made it easier for people to vote. That being said, um, when I show up on a campus like Saginaw Valley State University mm-hmm. on a Friday morning, first thing in the morning, and it is hundreds of students there, that energy was real. We weren't even offering free food. Like, <laughs> wow, wow. Imagine <laughs> if you had. Heard of, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and on campuses at University of Michigan, Michigan State, you know, universities all across the state, young people stood in line for hours. And now that we have run the tables on this election, I'm going to sign legislation to ensure that a young person never has to stay in line for hours again and make it easier for people to participate because young people have the longest, most important stake in the outcome of these elections. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that you are not the only one that observed those lines. There are also going to be lawmakers in other states that try to that see that uh, people held out in them and try to sort of do do the opposite. Um, speaking about kind of like your reception, all right, the reaction to your victory on social media was pretty overwhelming. There's a song called Big Gretch Energy. And I also just saw so many videos of residents, mostly women, mostly women of color, really just earnestly saying they had never felt so much pride in an elected leader. First of all, how does that feel? And second of all, again, what do you what do you think? Um, that comes from what that what that's rooted in. Well, I, I, it's so kind, and I am so grateful. Um, you know, I do this work because I love people. I care about people. I've had to make some of the most unimaginable tough calls in yes. the midst of so many different crises, and so to win this election by eleven points, to carry all of you know the state legislature, um, it feels like an affirmation that we're focused on the right things that people Mm -hmm. are paying attention and that they reject all of the hate and violent rhetoric and election denialism and efforts to undermine our confidence in our institutions. And, and that is about, you know, the most encouraging thing that I could ever have imagined coming out of this election. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be a very close, tough election. We took it very seriously every step of the way. And then to have that kind of an outcome is just really encouraging. Yeah. Fortunately, we no longer have to discuss your opponent, but I never thought it was going to be a close race just based on the facts. And I am thrilled that people turned out. I mean, like we said, this is such a mandate. What are you looking forward to most for for your next term? Is there anything that, are there any possibilities you feel have opened up based on what voters have told you that they are really wanting? I think that there's a whole lot of possibilities. You know, um, this has only happened four times in 130 years in Michigan. Wow. And so, you know, it's a two-seat majority in both the Senate and the House. So it's not, you know, this overwhelming number, but it also, uh, I think, is an opportunity to do some things that we have been trying to get done. My just got off the phone with um, my appointments director, and the Capitol Commission is the commission that determines what can and can't happen in the Capitol. And as you might recall, we were the... um, Canary in the coal mine with armed armed protesters showing up at our call. Yeah. One of only two in the country where you can do that. And I anticipate we'll be able to finally make Michigan more in the majority and keeping our legislators and our fourth graders who come to the Capitol safe uh, by precluding that from happening. So that's just one most recent example. But um, whether it's getting old zombie laws off the books or finance reform or codifying my climate policies Mm -hmm. or protecting other fundamental rights. Um, I think there's a lot we're going to be able to do. And I'm really excited about Yeah, I would love to be the person in the office in charge of looking at the zombie laws. You also had an incredible uh, Supreme Court appointment recently as well, right? 
Yeah, so I just appointed Kyra Harris-Golden to the Michigan Supreme Court. She is the first Black woman to serve on the state Supreme Court. In 185-year history, she's the first. And um, she tells the story about her great-grandfather being lynched in Tennessee and how in just a few generations, we've gone from that to now she is a new mom of a little girl, and she's going to be the first Black woman on our Supreme Court. It's um, She's a... a her expertise is why she yeah. got appointed, but the, what that appointment means goes so, means yeah. a lot, so many. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, cause we have about one more minute with you. What would you tell a young woman who wants to get involved with politics, especially, you know, seeing this wave of enthusiasm, what would you, what path would you suggest? What advice would you give to somebody who thinks this is the path I want to take? You know, whether it is running for office or it is running a campaign of someone who's running for office or it is being their chief of staff, there is a role to play. And any woman or, you know, young man, young woman who's interested in getting involved, uh, there's the path for you. And it's really important to make your voice heard, not just in the ballot box, but certainly there's the, the four, first and foremost way. But to jump in, I was a student at Michigan State University. I took an internship at the Capitol. I thought it was going to be a sports broadcaster and look at me now. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got involved, saw how it works, felt strongly yeah. about how important our voices um, need to be a part of it. And that's that's why, how I ended up here. I started a staff, ran some campaigns, and, and now I'm here. And I encourage other people to do it. Women tend not to come out of the womb thinking we are entitled to be the president of the United States like our male counterparts do on occasion. Yeah. Um, but every woman has got an important voice and, and can make a difference. Um, yeah. And I would encourage people to consider it. That's great advice. I mean, I know people have a lot of thoughts about what your next iteration should be, but I think Sportscaster is a great one. I think it's still on the table. <laughs> thank you <laughs> well, so thank much. You. Yeah, <laughs> thank, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners. I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you are searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone on any occasion. Now it's easier to find gifts made by independent sellers for all of the people in your life, like the pickleballers, I know plenty of those, the jazz fan, the artist, the pasta lover, whatever niche interest they have, you can find an incredible gift on Etsy. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there is something for everyone. There is so much pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas specifically for my dad, but my dad loves flying. He loves airplanes. He loves aviation, and he never gets sick of a cute little gift that has a reference to that. And the inventory for that on Etsy is incredible. I hope my dad lives for 200 years because I can get him a birthday present related to aviation or planes from Etsy for every single one of them, if not hundreds and hundreds of years more. There really is that much. A gifting moment is always around the corner, but whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Millie Tamaris. Forgive me, I'm a little I'm a little breathless. I had Gretchen Whitmer this morning and then Ooh. busted my ass to the office to see Heather Gay of The Real Housewives <laughs> of Salt Lake City. <laughs> That's Betch a life. true Betches sup day. It really yeah. is. Only for Heather Gay, I think. Like, I really like her. She's This season, you know, she's had some challenges for me, but I had to be here. For yeah, her. this season, it's tough. To this be season's here. a little tough, but you know what? Maybe she'll explain herself to Dylan. And yeah. either way, I will get a picture with her. Maybe. Yesterday, we talked about Donald Trump and Kanye West. So today we must discuss Elon Musk. I think that's just news physics at this point. 
Um, what mm-hmm. is it? Fuck, marry, kill. Oh, uh, no. Fuck, marry. Arrest. Oh, no. Banish. Oh, right. Yeah. Banish, banish. Fuck, and we were banish. banishing him to Arrest. Mars. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd like, we have some more, you know, substantial topics related to Elon Musk to discuss, but I'd like to start with this query. Which element of Elon Musk's nightstand just, just disturbed you most? Yesterday, this gentleman, he tweeted out a picture of his nightstand at 4.38 Eastern time, which would mean, I don't know where the man is. Does anybody know? I have no idea. AM. So this guy was in the middle of the night. It's Silicon, isn't he in Silicon Valley? Yeah, but that's still almost two in the morning yeah, on a weekday. It's still weird, but it's just like. But regardless, well, I mean, if you have not seen this this image, Elise, why don't you? I'll do you take think you can it. paint a picture? Yeah. Okay. So we're looking at basically a dirty man's nightstand. Um, mm. Two guns on the nightstand. One loose. Uh, <laughs> one that's just out. The other one is what in what appears to be a Washington crossing the Delaware commemorative gun box. It looks like a musket, honestly, a mini musket. musket. It looks like so the one the loose gun is just a standard handgun. It's pointed towards the bed, um, and again, just out. The other gun is in a little commemorative box. It is wooden. It looks like yeah, a little mini musket. A little travel size musket. There are four cans of. Is it so? Okay, diet I, caffeine free diet, diet coke. It's caffeine free diet coke. What okay, the so, fuck is the point of that? Yeah, because I was like, okay, this is a gold can. So what is in the gold cans? Okay, four cans of caffeine free diet coke that I All imagine opened. each have a tiny amount of diet Definitely. coke. All different diet temperatures coke still in there. Yeah, um, one water bottle that still has water in it. And then some kind of I don't I can't tell what's in the corner there. Um, Me neither. There's some sort of little chocolate wallet, like that Um, just has credit cards in it. Yeah, there's a wallet, but I'm talking about over by the loose gun. I thought it was a. (laughs) I thought that was a pipe. It should maybe. It looked like a pipe, but then it's weird. I love how he's got loose guns, but not loose weed. Like the most dangerous thing in my nightstand is is loose weed. What my favorite thing is as you zoomed into this photo. There are rings of like where former yes. Coke cans were. I could see like visibly three or four. Oh, oh, they are overlapping. There are probably dozens of these. This this billionaire yeah, there's ancient can't Coke buy dirt on here. Coasters. He has two guns, but no, no coasters. coasters. Well, very single dad. Very. I mean, I'm like, doesn't he have like twelve kids? Like. Mm-hmm. I understand drinking this many cooks, but you know he ain't with his kids. Right, exactly. And sometimes I wonder if that is if this man could just hydrate himself properly, if maybe he could manage his moods a little better. You know, sometimes yeah. when I'm wiling out, I really just need a glass of water. And just well, take a Diet Coke to the face is a, a... You need a glass of water, a shower, and a nap. And it's just very clear <laughs> that he's not doing any of these. No, he has had none. <laughs> he has had none. Like, this is back to the Khloe Kardashian kitchen pantry mm-hmm. of like... Mm-hmm. If I was a billionaire, a billionaire, I'm not drinking fucking shit you can get. I'm not doing anything that you can get at a 7-Eleven. I would not have. I have a Diet Coke fountain in my bedroom if I'm a billionaire. Yes. Like Mr. Deeds. Yes. No, (laughs) the thing is, the thing is that Khloe Kardashian's um, kitchen pantry was all dough cans. Mm-hmm. And like weird shit oh. and like like plastic uh, pickles and yeah. stuff. And I'm just like, I'm getting everything from your one or whatever that fucking fancy grocery store is. 
I'm, I'm, and I'm like, there has to be something better. There's to be a, a rich person's equivalent of Diet Coke. Yeah, these people, these rich Coke. people don't have rich taste. They yeah. don't deserve to be yeah. to be this rich. But I highly encourage you to look at this image. I think it's really a, an image for our time. The muskets disturbing, the guns disturbing. Disturbing. It's all it's all disturbing. But the more meaningful headline today, of course, is that Elon Musk is claiming that companies that choose not to advertise on his platforms don't support free speech. So Apple is one of many, many companies that have halted spending on Twitter amid concerns about the platform's safety in this man's hands. You know, he's reinstated a lot of problematic people. He said he's going to allow certain behavior on the platform that is just not safe or desirable for a lot of companies to have their content around. This also comes, of course, because of that as Musk and Twitter has seen a massive drop in ad revenue. And in response to the Apple news, Elon Musk responded basically like a child who found out other kids actually don't want to play his horrifying little game. He has accused Apple of by threatening to withhold its ad revenue from Twitter, they hate free speech. That is that is the equation that Elon has come up with. He is asking Apple has mostly stopped advertising on Twitter. Do they hate free speech in America? He he mentioned Tim Cook in this and he also said that he heard that Apple was going to take Twitter out of the uh, app store. Now Apple's app store does wield kind of disproportionate influence over how we use our phones and buy apps, but um, obviously, Elon. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. Obviously, we are not too concerned about this, but you know, this is pretty consequential for them. Apple is one of Top's Twitter advertisers. They paid like they paid fifty million dollars just in the first quarter, so losing them would be pretty bad. And I think that's why this man is is acting out. But I just feel like he's really telling on himself with this because, like. Apple is, doesn't have a free speech obligation. <laughs> Nobody has a free speech obligation to advertise on your silly little platform. The First Amendment does not have a clause that says tech companies must buy ads on Twitter. It's very know, silly. It's so wild what these people, like these people like Elon Musk, they literally think free speech means that they can say and do whatever they want and no, and everyone has to treat them exactly the same. Like, it's it's so strange to me. What free speech means is that the U.S. government cannot arrest you for your That's political it. opinions or for your religious opinions or for your opinions about anything. It doesn't actually mean that you can say whatever you want because there are limits to free speech, as cases have said. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. You can't threaten people, number one. It does not mean that advertisers have to continue advertising on Twitter or that and or that like you or that a platform can't take your tweet down or anything like that all all free speech pertains to is the relationship of the US government to the people here in the United States it has nothing to do with your relation to a corporation or your relation to another person or anything of that nature. <laughs> it seems like Elon Musk has convinced people that that's like not the case. Like all these people, they just pick up free speech. Free, and it's very interesting. It's very gratifying to me that Mr. Musk is now encountering the idea of brand safety because there are there are advertisers that don't want to advertise with us because we are women who dare to speak our minds. It is very frustrating, but it is not a free speech violation. Yeah. These, I'm, I'm, we're it's not calling right. these people out. They can do whatever they want. Brand safety is a thing. It's a huge thing. I don't know why anyone didn't tell this man. Like brands are babies. They run away from the smallest things. So you can imagine when he's letting like rampant hate and anti-Semitism, they're, they're not that into it. Yeah. Well, exactly. Uh, and it's like they're bringing back he whatever he's going to reinstate Donald Trump. Donald Trump so far still hasn't used the platform, which so is funny. very funny. I think to that's me. funny. It's actually the most restraint 
he's ever shown in any time in his More life. More restraint than all of us, honestly. Yeah, honestly. I mean, truly. Like, I'm like, okay, wow. This is honestly the most responsible behavior discipline. I've seen from him. Yeah, but either way, like, he wants to put Donald Trump back on. He wants to put back on Alex Jonesy type figures. People who have used their Twitter accounts to do real damage, right? As a brand, harm. as a brand... Do you want forever an ad for the new iPhone to be included in a screenshot of the next tweet Donald Trump uses to incite a riot on the Capitol? Like, do you want um, your ad above a Twitter video of like a live shooting or whatever? Like, literally, that is the type of stuff that these brands are trying to protect themselves from because you don't know what tweet when there are no standards of what can be said on the app, you have no fucking idea what your ad is going to be next to. You don't know. And yeah. like the usership on Twitter is not, you know, hot. There's have like you a many lost reasons. a lot of followers? I did. I lost. Yeah, I lost, I lost a lot. Oh my god. Yeah, I, I lost five hundred. That's just for people I've, leaving I've, the leaving the platform because and like people I'm following too, like like a bunch. But really? what I was gonna say is, um, a few months ago. Earlier, the, or I guess last year, actually, they announced that the the scene on Twitter right now for someone who's terminally online, uh, path- pathologically online, if, if you ask terminally. me, <laughs> terminally, pathologically, uh, very online. Um, it's like when they announced all Sears were closing in the country. And it took a and, minute. <laughs> and, and Millie, Millie needed a new mattress. So she went to the only mm. Sears in New York City. Or one of the only series on Flatbush, and it was chaos. Mm-hmm. There were some things on sale. It was really crazy, and you know there's still some semblance of normalcy, but then they're also like selling the racks where the clothes yeah, came in. Right. So I saw like, a tweet that was happening? like, it's basically like a mall that's completely hollowed out, except for a Macy's and Burlington Coat Factory, and that exactly. really is like I'll do my drive by, and some of the people I expect are still there tweeting, but it's definitely it's it's a. Uh, it's not what it used to. The, well, the, I'll say, right? So for t- advertising, you'll still see like Chipotle's advertising, Netflix's advertising, this and that. But then you have more and more weirdos mm-hmm. promoting their own tweets. Like people are like, like, like philosophical quotes of themselves, like, to, like promoting them. This one guy, which I did screenshot and, and post this, this one guy put a sexy selfie, a thirst trap, he thought it was sexy. Is it sexy objectively? No. But he posted it and then he would wrote like good night, wink oh, face. Oh no. So the platform is it. becoming something. Oh God. Promoted it and then all the comments were like, ew, you could have kept this. Why is it showing up? This is gross. What the fuck? Who Ugh. the fuck are you? Like and those yeah. are who's lining Elon's pockets. Now. It's really it's really stretching its its demise. Nothing makes me laugh harder than these like people who did pay for Twitter blue before they had to like suspend the entire program or whatever. And any person who bought that, who tweets truly anything, every reply is just people being like, you paid for Twitter, bro. Like you suck. (laughs) You're so lame. You're such a loser. (laughs) They're already like, meme images that people use that are just like a pointing finger and it's like this guy paid for twitter like so funny like (laughs) it's pretty funny yeah that's what you want for like for it to be a joke when people actually like give you the money that you need to yes to keep your service alive well one more thing is remember a few weeks ago when everyone was making fake twitters Mm -hmm. and we hailed and like lauded the eli lily 
That yeah. ended up being my friend Sean Morrow, who makes videos at More Perfect Union. And wow. he 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 made a whole video explainer on like his thinking process behind it and like Wait, how do you he think he'd come it. on the podcast? He would definitely oh, come on amazing. the podcast. We're making that happen. Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same with the same fish picture? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes, conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week, and they serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it is economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. So for a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash feverdream. That's homechef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash feverdream. You must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Uh, well, again, we will certainly be talking about this man at some point again this week. But to, to end today, to spend a few minutes on this rail strike, which you have probably heard about, but it's getting pretty, it's, it's been serious, but we're really getting to the point where they basically said that they were not going to work anymore. And um, today I learned the federal government can stop them from striking. So that's that's what we're going to address today. So the possibility of a rail strike has loomed for really a lot of this year. Like the mm-hmm. president's been getting involved since the summer. There are tons of things at play here that they've been working through and that some you know deal propos- proposals have addressed. But paid sick leave is really the big one that they were they've not been able to secure. They've got some wage increases that they barely make up for inflation. But paid sick leave, I mean, you can't get paid sick leave. They either have to go to work when they're sick or they don't get paid that day. And that's just that's just appalling. That's all they want. They want four sick days. These railroad companies are <laughs> not giving so it to small. them. That's oh, so small. It's, it's, not, it's not paid family leave. It's just if you're sick to not lose money. And these and are now, people who are working the rails. Like yeah. They're famously the commuter to trains sick. too. It's not just freight. So where we're at now is that on Monday, a coalition of business groups, the you know, chambers of commerce types, wrote to congressional leaders and basically demanded they pass legislation prohibiting rail workers from striking. So this is apparently allowed. Congress has the power to say like you either it's either you can't strike or you have to accept this deal on the table. And Mr. Biden has agreed. He is saying, you know, I I would I'm very pro labor, but I'm I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to force you to adopt the deal without paid leave if you do not in a certain period. Which is just crazy to me because I know they won't, but it is worth saying that it seems like they could also avoid a strike if our United States Congress passed legislation saying that everybody gets, mm. you know, four sick days. That could be a fun workaround, but obviously mm. we're not looking forward to that. But it is just like it's just I don't know. Eat the rich, redistribute the wealth. This is absurd. It's so crazy. Four sick days when we just had a pandemic, when we are coming out of a pandemic that is one, still happening, still making people sick regularly. And two, like two, you were out for a minimum of 15 days, Mm -hmm. 15 days for COVID. And it's so, I mean, that's crazy. I'm also confused as to like, how they force them to take the deal or like, can't they just still not go to work? 
I'm like, sure I'm they can. I'm confused about, I'm Maybe confused they all about get the fired, mechanics. But like, right, right. I know that back in the 80s, Ronald Reagan broke a airline. I think it was aircraft traffic controllers tried to strike and I, he did something to end the strike. Like, I think he brought in scabs or brought in outside people, just Ronald hired Reagan all new did people. did something mm. evil? <laughs> yep. I, I know, surprising, surprising to hear, but I think that he, I think there was like a famous incident with him and air traffic controllers. So I guess, and I'm pretty sure that what happened with that is that he just was like, no, I just will hire new people to do it. If Congress acts, it will end talks between the railroads and the four rail unions that rejected their deals Biden helped broker before the original strike deadline in September. So I don't know what they just have to, it just ends talks. Yeah, I guess they're like, because it's, it's just they have I guess to, it's like illegal for, it is illegal for companies to like, stop unions and and not work with unions and stuff like that's like a legal right but i guess the president can go over it's just kind of sad because yeah, congress can basically be like here's the deal you're gonna go for that's crazy but like it's just kind of sad because for the longest time i mean as we're talking about how things have shifted and how more like poor people are voting democrat and rich people are voting republican and now how that's switched on like people with more money and more education are voting Democrat and people with less money and less education are voting Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that has to do with unions and, and the democratic ties to unions. And I feel like, you know, that has, that is a criticism of the left and of the of Democrats is like, they're no longer, you know, really working with unions like they used to. And because of that, yeah. we, that's why we're losing so much of the Rust Belt and Midwest and all of that, you know? Yeah, certainly not a good look that President Biden is forcing the unions to take. Yeah, my grandpa was like a life on my on my mom's side, uh, not the Cuban one, was like a (laughs) lifelong Democrat. And it was very much because of the unions, because like he was in he was like an elevator repairman and so for Westinghouse. And so like he was in a union and it was very much like his political identity was tied to being a union man and being a union man mm-hmm. meant that you voted for Democrats pretty much exclusively. So, um, yeah, that is definitely a huge part of the shift. Cause my grandpa was like, yeah, like a blue collar working guy. I mean, my, he didn't even like finish sixth grade. So like, yeah. yeah. And I mean, a lot of the professions jobs. are dangerous. So like yeah, if you're yeah. being an elevator repairman, you're going to want some guarantees for your family. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And like, Union jobs are the way that, you know, people who don't have a or have an elementary school education or middle school um, can get good jobs that are, you know, that they're not being exploited. Well, exactly. Yeah, because you know what? At the end of the day, like my mom's one of six and, you know, they weren't like living large or whatever, but they had a nice, comfortable life on my grandma worked a little bit, too, but like on two blue collar salaries, which you cannot really do. You cannot have six kids. Mm-hmm. One mom that's like intermittently stay at home and working and one dad who's just working a union job and like be living comfortably in any city. No. Right now. No, definitely not. And I think that's definitely not. And so if you we were behind railroad workers, obviously we know like I think the issue is that the economic impact would be pretty profound, but it wouldn't happen until after Christmas. So it's not gonna affect your gifts. <laughs> that is our show. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Millie Tamaras. And this is the Betchup Podcast. Bye. 
The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duerman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sousmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at suppod at betches.com. Betches.